My guess is if Moses had known he'd be spending so much of his life back in the wilderness, he probably would have stayed in the wilderness in the first place. Um, but he's following the, the lead of the Lord. And we saw that we've seen in our three parts, a third of, of three parts of Moses' life, um, Moses' life story is more about God's work than his own work. We saw first off in part one that he was rescued to lead. He never should have made it out of childhood, but God drew him out, used Pharaoh's daughter to draw him out. Then God called him out uh, there in the wilderness speaking from the burning bush, and God empowered him to do his job that he was calling him to do. And then last week we saw part two, battle of wills, as he goes up against Pharaoh. We saw Pharaoh's hardened heart. Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and God hardened his heart. He kept saying no, kept saying no, and so God poured out all these plagues until, until finally he relented and let the children of Israel go. We also saw Moses' courageous obedience, because really what Moses was called to do shouldn't have worked. And he did what he did, and he suffered what he suffered because he obeyed God, and really the Christian life is a lot like that that we don't always know how the immediate is going to work out. All we know is that what God has told us to do, we just need to do it and to trust Him to carry it through. And then what we saw, and of course God's the hero of the story, we saw Yahweh's infinite power. I mean, nobody could stop God. He's got the biggest hammer in the world. Um, he's got everything at His disposal. And so we saw this battle of wills, and of course God won that battle. Well, this part three is the impossible journey. Had an impossible start, uh, but for God, the exodus never should have happened, never should have made it out of Egypt. It had an impossible survival, but for God, they should, never should have made it out of the wilderness. I mean, how can you feed two million people in the wilderness? It's just not going to happen unless there's miracles involved. And then an impossible destination, but for God. The conquest of Canaan was so impossible that that the children of Israel, almost to a man, with the exception of two, balked at the whole idea and said, we just can't do it, we're not going to do it. Um, and so God waited 40 years for that generation to die out so that the next generation could go in. An impossible start, impossible survival, impossible destination. This was the impossible journey that God called Moses to lead. Consider with me first the impossible start, but for God. This is the Exodus. In Hebrews 11, 28 to 29, we read, by faith, he, that is Moses, kept the Passover. Remember, that's when the, the death angel passed over those who had the blood of the lamb on their door, doorpost, and so their firstborn didn't die. He kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. There are some people today that say, oh, well, it actually is the Reed Sea, not the Red Sea, and it was only ankle deep, and that's how they got across. Well, tell me how Pharaoh's army drowned in ankle deep water, and I might, just might decide to go to your version of the story rather than God's. Exodus 12, we read all the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. This is with um, the Passover lamb and getting ready for their leaving Egypt. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. And so, 
when, you, when you look at what happened, for them to even be able to leave Egypt, for them to have survived the plagues, for, for them to leave with uh, having plundered the Egyptians with all the, the silver and gold and jewels that they left with that would be used for the building of the tabernacle in the wilderness, for them to be able to do that was just utterly impossible. It would take God-sized actions for it to, to happen, and it did. And no sooner had they left that Pharaoh has, um, like, the opposite of buyer's remorse, I guess seller's remorse, and he decides, um, no, I want these, these people back, and he goes chasing them, so they're between the Red Sea. They can either drown in the Red Sea or be killed by Pharaoh or be brought back into slavery. What are they going to do? This is what Moses told them in Exodus 14. Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. On occasion in your life, you, you may have experiences like this where you're very much aware that you've got absolutely no hope but for God to fight for you, and it's an awesome thing when he steps in and does. The Lord says to Moses, said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. I mean, what match for these two million people, men, women, and children, uh, bagged up their stuff, escaping the land. They're not warriors. They don't have chariots. They don't have all these horses and they're just sitting ducks for the Egyptians, and God rescues them. Exodus 14, 30, and 31, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians. So, the people feared the Lord. That's one of the favorite Old Testament words for worshiping God for who He is, and they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. It was an impossible journey from the start. And, you know, the Scripture uses this exodus uh, of Israel from the land of Egypt as parallel to our rescue from sin and death through Jesus Christ. The start of the Christian's journey to the promised land is also impossible but for God. The miraculous deliverance from slavery, sin, and death, through the new birth, repentance and faith, uh, justification, being declared righteous before God, regeneration, receiving life from God, conversion, having an absolute turnaround in the way that I think and what I love, all of these are miracles from God that make the beginning of the Christian journey a possible journey. But for God, it's an impossible journey. But with God, it's possible. And I was reminded as I was meditating on this reality of John Newton's famous hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. It's an impossible journey with an impossible start, but for God. Second, It's impossible survival, but for God. In the days in the wilderness, in Psalm 78, 
we read that they, that is Israel, spoke against God, saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? I mean, one of the things we talked about when we were talking about going on a trip, that if we're going to go camping out, we've got to have food. If you don't have food and water, you're not going to make it. Well, what are you going to do if, if, if you're going to be out on a trip that lasts 40 years? And how can you carry enough food? And how do you have enough water in the wilderness? Well, he struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread and provide meat for his people? So God kept providing their needs along the way, and they kept complaining that they needed more, and God kept providing for them. In Psalm 78, 40 to 42, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe. So, you know, the journey was impossible to begin but for God. And it's important for us to remember as we look at what seems impossible right now with our own survival, to remember that the only reason we're on this journey of faith is because of impossible. So when we face more impossible on the journey, when we face more difficulties on the journey, we shouldn't be freaking out that, oh no, we've got a problem here. There's no problem that's too big for God because he rescued us in the first place. That was an impossible thing for me to have life when I'm a sinner by birth and by choice. And, and God has done that through Jesus Christ. Now, the problems were galore. I mean, this is, like, this is like a nightmare of a camping trip that lasted 40 years. But God was with them with the pillar of fire by night, pillar of cloud by day. He protected them. He, he demonstrated that he was with them. He led them. It, it was God himself in that Shekinah glory, that dwelling place glory that, that was visible to them, that, that led them all along the way, else they wouldn't know which way to go. And right in the center as they built the tabernacle, uh, right in the center of the camp, that tabernacle sat right there, the presence of God right in the middle. God made bitter water sweet. He gave them manna. He gave them quail. He provided water from the rock. Miracle after miracle after miracle, God provided just to meet their basic needs. But that wasn't the only thing that they needed. It wasn't like they're on this camping trip in some resort, in some beautiful, you know, Hawaiian, lush kind of place. They're also in a place where they've got enemies. And so they had battles with, and they defeated Amalek, the people of Amalek. Um, Edom refused to let Israel pass. They had to circle around. Arad the Canaanite opposed them. They had to fight him. Sihon and Og fought them, and they were defeated. Moab decided they'd be a little trickier. Balak, king of Moab, hired Balaam, a prophet, to curse Israel. And when he went to curse Israel, he's paid off money to do it. And you remember all the story about the donkey that was smarter than the prophet. Um, that, that didn't want to, to keep going because of the angel that was in the way. But, but when Balaam went to curse Israel, out came blessing instead. And God protected them from Moab and from, from the curses that Balaam was hired uh, to give. And then he also helped them in fighting Midian. So you had all these enemies they had to face. So you not only had just the regular needs of daily provision, but you also have enemies. And guess what? You need daily provision. And guess what? You have enemies. Your, 
the devil is the adversary. He's the slanderer. Satan means adversary. And he looks for someone he can devour. He's like a roaring lion. And, and then he's got people that he uses to show his hatred to God's people. So we need daily provision, and we, and we also need protection from our enemies. That's why Jesus says, pray, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. But that wasn't the only problems that they faced. They had problems not just on the outside, they had problems on the inside, the problem of idolatry. They began to worship the golden calf, pretended like this was the God that had led them out. They had borrowed the golden calf from Egypt, the symbol, the bull, a, a symbol of strength. At Baal Peor, they worshiped Baals, and, a, and plague broke out. In fact, multiple times in their journey, there were plagues as God judged the sin of the people. There were fiery serpents that we heard about this morning, and the bronze serpent on the pole, if they would just look, they would be healed from the poisonous bite. And then there was a rebellion of Aaron and Miriam. Sometimes the problems are really close to home. Sometimes the problems are your own family members. Sometimes the problems are people that have been your colleagues and, and allies, and they turn against you, and it hurts bad. And then there was a rebellion of Korah, Korah Dathan, and Abiram that said, you know, Moses and Aaron, you're just in it for yourselves. God is talking to other people besides just you guys. We should be able to do what you're doing. And, and God brought judgment. And those people and their families were swallowed up by the earth. Their censers that they brought before the Lord with the incense in them left on the ground, and the brass from those censers was used for the altar that's at the front of the tabernacle. So, you know, look at, look at the variety of challenges. You, you've got the daily provision. You've got the enemies. You've got the idolatry of your heart. You have the rebellion of friends and family. And God brought them through all of that. He provided the pillar of fire and of cloud. He provided the tabernacle. He provided water and manna and quail. Uh, God looking out for them. And the reality is that you and I, as Christians, will never survive the journey of faith to the promised land, but for the keeping and sanctifying power of God. Those that truly belong to the Lord persevere perseverance of the saints. They are sanctified. It's a progressive sanctification. And, and it's striking that it's often the encounter with the difficulties, the encounter with the enemies, the encounter with our own uh, frailty and our, and our own wandering from the Lord that God uses to sanctify us and make us more like Jesus and help us understand Him better. As you look at these experiences of the people of Israel, I mean, these, these are exactly the kinds of things that we face in our own wilderness wanderings as we head home to our heavenly home. I was reminded once again of lines from Newton's hymn, the Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He shall my shield and portion be as long as life endures. He's the good shepherd. He will get you safely home. An impossible destination, finally, but for God. The whole conquest of Canaan. I mean, it's one thing, you know, to escape slavery in one country, but to go to another country and think that the people there are going to just roll over and say, welcome to our country. You can have it. Just kill us all and you can have our stuff. 
Like, what country is that? It's an impossible destination, but for God. In Numbers 13 and 14, Israel got a big dose of how impossible it actually was. They decided to send 12 spies into the land. They were going to be there 40 days. And when they came back, while they said, well, yeah, the land is amazing. It's flowing with milk and honey. I mean, look at the size of these grapes, and it's got awesome stuff in it, but there's also awesome people that are bigger than we are and that are just going to, they're going to make mincemeat of us. Only Caleb and Joshua brought back a good report, and so the nation was too afraid to go in. They, they were afraid, and they were angry at Moses and Aaron for bringing there in the first place. I mean, they were ready to stone them. Numbers 13, we read, but Caleb, remember Caleb and Joshua were two that brought back a good report. He quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim. In other words, they are people uh, taller even than Camden Gearhart. Okay, so you get up next to him and several other men in our congregation, and you you feel like a pygmy for sure. Um, But these guys are even taller. I mean, Goliath was nine feet tall. And and so there there were actual giants, and actually archaeology has discovered uh, such sizable uh, men. The sons of Anak came from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, so we seemed to them. What do you do with a grasshopper? that's in your way. Makes good fish bait, okay? Well, God decreed the nation, because they refused to go in, would wander 40 years in the wilderness, one year for each day that the spies were surveying the land. Everyone 20 years old and older, except for Joshua and Caleb, would die in the wilderness, and their children, who they were so afraid would be at risk, would go into the promised land instead. God struck down the ten spies with a plague right in front of everybody, and they died right there. Then then Israel repented, and they said, oh, we're we're sorry, you know, we we didn't, we'll go in, we'll go in. And Moses said, don't go in, God's not with you. And they said, we'll go in anyway. And they went in and, of course, lost the battle. They failed in their attempt because God was not with them. It was an impossible conquest except for God. And if God's not with you, you're not going to make it. And so this destination, this conquest of Canaan, impossible. And, and they really learned that it was. And the problem is that, that these spies, you know, they, they undermined the faith of the bulk of the nation because they, 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 they were so fearful. And, you know, this happens among the people of God. There are those, hey, let's believe God, let's go forward. And there's others that are too fearful to go forward. And they, and they tend to undermine the ability of the rest of the people to do what God's called them to do. We also learned that Moses wasn't going to get to go in the promised land because the first time that they needed water, he was commanded to strike the rock and water would come forth. The second time, God said, just speak to the rock, okay? There's symbolism going on here with Christ dying once for us, but, but Moses 
decided to strike the rock again and to do it more than once. And, and there's a reason, I think, that he did, and we'll see it in the passage that talks about it. In Numbers 20 and verse 10, we read, Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Okay, that sounds like that leader is like had it up to here, right? Um, they were complaining once again. It was their favorite pastime uh, about not having what they needed when they needed it. And, and Moses was tired of it. I mean, he had gone to bat for these people over and over and over again. He had interceded for them, and, and he's just had it. And then it's really easy for those in leadership to go through enough difficulties that they get jaded by them, they get discouraged by them, and they get angry because of them, and they end up doing things they ought not do. And this was the case with Moses. And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I've given them. Say, so, well, it seems kind of severe, but remember that this whole journey was impossible but for God. And God had given Moses a clear command as to how he was to do the impossible. And he chose to let his flesh get in the way. He, he chose to make it a, a man-empowered kind of thing with, you know, the, the people need to see that I'm really angry, and I am really angry, so I'm going to let them have a piece of my mind, and I'm going to strike the rock twice. So he didn't get to go in. Well, Lord actually went back to, I mean, Moses went back to the Lord about not getting to go in. We read in Deuteronomy 3, I pleaded with the Lord at that time saying, O oh, Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven on an earth that can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Please, let me go over and see the good land beyond Jordan and the good hill country in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me. He's sharing this with the people of Israel. Because of you, and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. Go up to the top of Pisgah. And lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward, and look at it with your eyes, for you shall not go over this Jordan. But charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he shall go over at the head of this people. He shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. You know, it's interesting, Joshua's name, if you translate it into Greek, is Jesus. And ultimately, Jesus will lead his people into the promised land. And you do realize that Moses eventually did make it to the promised land. It was after he died, and it was on the Mount of Transfiguration when he and Elijah met Jesus and talked about his exodus, when he was about to die for the sins of his people to bring them into their promised land inheritance. So Moses actually did end up making it to the promised land just hundreds and hundreds, 1,400 years uh, or so later. The Christian would never make it safely home, but for the power of God, and that's the stage of glorification. There, there is a future for us as believers that really, when you think about it, just seems too wonderful to be true. 
And it really is too wonderful to be true, but for God. Because the God who created the world and everything in it and, and made it very good and perfect has promised to recreate it and make it a place where righteousness dwells, a new heaven and a new earth. So we can sing with John Newton, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace, favor I didn't deserve, has led me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The psalmist says it a similar way in Psalm 23, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the meantime, His steadfast love, His goodness and steadfast love will pursue me all the days of my life. So, as we look at the life of Moses and the way that it ends, it, it almost is like, was Moses' life a, a failure? I mean, he started as a prince, he fled as a fugitive, and after battling Pharaoh and leading Israel to the promised land, he never got to go in himself, except after he died. I mean, if we were in his sandals, we might think ourselves a failure, but we would be wrong. Remember his prayer in Psalm 90. It's the oldest psalm, likely the oldest psalm written by Moses. And he's writing it in the context of the wilderness wanderings. And he says, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? I mean, he, think how many funerals he went to. Think, think of watching a whole generation die before your eyes and knowing that they could have gone into the promised land instead. So, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days, even in the time of difficulty and judgment. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we've seen evil. Like right in the middle of all the difficulties, God, still make us glad because you still love us. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. And then he repeats it. Yes, establish the work of our hands. It's like a prayer that God would ensure that his life was not a failure, that this impossible journey that ended in such a disappointing way for him would not be a failure in the long run. Well, did God answer this prayer of Moses? I think the answer is absolutely yes. Israel made it into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, who had served alongside of Moses. And God's people read the writings of Moses to this day. Where would we be without the first five books of the Bible? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch. These first five books form the foundation of the redemption story and point us to the hero of that story, Jesus, Joshua, the Messiah, our Savior King, who will lead us like a shepherd in the promise, into the promised new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells. Jesus said in John 5, 46, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Moses 
was called to conduct an impossible journey. Impossible in its start, but for God. Impossible survival, impossible destination, but for God. This is the beauty of following the Lord and belonging to his people, being people of the promise. We're on an impossible journey. Impossible, but for God. Let's pray. God, thanks. Thanks for, Lord, making us your people. Thank you for making a way when there was no way. God, thank you for providing our needs all along the way, needs of every kind. We need to know that you are with us, and you, you demonstrate that. Lord, we, we need your protection. We need provision for our journey. We, we need, Lord, help in the enemies that we face. We need, Lord, in, in the, the frailties of our own souls, the, the, the duplicity of our hearts, the... the the disappointment that we face with, with friends that, that seem to turn away and, and even turn against us. Uh, God, all of us face these kinds of things. It's what it is to be human, and yet, Lord, you are bringing us through. And God, when we look at the destination for which we long to be sinless, to be immortal, to be enjoying the new heaven and an earth, new earth where righteousness dwells, to, to finally be free from the curse, Lord, these things seem impossible. But Lord, you have promised them, and we know your word will accomplish what you send it to do. So God, thank you for making us part of this impossible journey. May we, like Moses, find that the work of our hands are established because of the work that you are doing through us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.